We are in a series, um, Heroes of the Faith, Heroes of the Faith. And so I started last week in Heroes of the Faith. Um, we learn from them. We don't just read these stories and think that's a nice story. Um, how many of you know, like, these heroes of the faith believed God, even though they were flawed, they believed God, and they did extraordinary things that set people free and set nations free and did amazing things for God. And how many of you know, like, God has ordered your steps. He has ordained uh, that you would be a hero of the faith. You are somebody who's going to change destinies. It's true. Corinthians says, Now Christ has been this minister of reconciliation, reconciling God and man, and now he has made us ministers of reconciliation. And it's as though, this is the language of Paul, it's as though God is pleading through us, come and know God. That changes destinies. That changes whole families. That's, that's amazing. So as we, as we go through these stories of heroes of the faith, we're not just thinking that's a nice story. We're thinking they're teaching us how to walk with God and how to believe him and how to do extraordinary things. Amen? So um, next week, I'm going to bring a word on Elijah. We're doing individuals. I'm here on out. But one of the fun things in the series is you get to hear more voices than just mine, which is fun in the house. So today... Reverend Matt Danko, Matthew Danko is coming uh, to bring the word, which is super fun. Um, Matthew pastored up north for 10 years faithfully at one of our great churches up north, and he's been with us, he and Mary, just serving faithfully here, and he's going to bring a word on Esther today, which I'm super excited about. Um, So Pastor Matthew, come on up, come on up, we want to hear the word. You're welcome. Please drop the Reverend. My wife is not here with me this morning. She did give me some wise counsel, though. Don't say anything stupid. (laughs) As if there was a possibility of that. Thank you, Pastor Rachel, for the privilege of sharing the word this morning. His name was... Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacredness of your word. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful saints who have taken of their time and their day and they've chosen to be here. Other opportunities, other obligations, and they've chiseled it in their schedule to be here this morning. Bless this word, I pray in Jesus' name. Cause it to bear fruit in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. His name is Chaplain Francis L. Sampson. He is a chaplain of 11 chaplains during World War II in 1944 who were challenged to minister to 10 to 12,000 men of the 101st Airborne. 11 chaplains going about ministering to all those men to the best of their ability. He jumps out of a perfectly good airplane I don't know why people would want to do that, but I, we live in Napoleon, and in the summertime, the blue skies and there's no clouds, I see people jumping out of perfectly fine airplanes, but they have colorful parachutes, unlike Chaplain Francis did, and we, have, we look over into the, uh, just about a mile and a half away to the airport. Wow, I don't know those people thinking. <laughs> Chaplain Francis is part of an invasion force. He lands in the wrong spot. If you want to put up one picture, it's a scene taken from a movie. 
Uh, him landing in the water, if you would. That's, that's him landing in the water. He loses his uh, communion set. The area has been flooded deliberately by the enemy to create marshes and swamps that are six to eight feet deep to flood and to deliberately kill soldiers. He lands in the wrong place at the wrong time. He haphazardly cuts away the hundred pounds or so of baggage that he has wrapped around himself. The wind changes directions miraculously and pulls him with his parachute into shallow water rather than deep water. Chaplain Francis Sampson is saved, and this is where the story does not end. It's so hard, Pastor Rachel. These people don't feel the presence of the Lord like someone does when they're behind this podium. Hallelujah. So we'll just keep on going. Those were not tears. Those are allergies. <laughs> I really have no allergies. Put up on the second picture, if you would, of uh, Chaplain Francis. This is what he looked like on that cool motorcycle. Boy, I wish I had that thing this day. Thank you for those pictures. The, the story really continues on here. He goes on to behind enemy lines throughout the days and the weeks. He travels on to a farmhouse where there's many wounded soldiers. He's ministering to 25 to 50 soldiers to the best of his ability. He's behind enemy lines, though, and two German soldiers step on, on the scene. They're the enemy at this time, and he's marched to his execution. They cock back their weapons, and a third soldier, some hundred yards off, hears the sound of the guns reeking back. He begins a conversation, this third soldier, with the chaplain. Believe it or not, they're both Christian men. They're just fighting on the wrong side. They're enemies, but they're brothers in the Lord at the same time. Chaplain Samson's life is saved. He becomes a prisoner of war for six months. You can uh, stop with the pictures. Thank you so much. I hope he, he went through all three of them. He is called to even do more work. He is called to save a man by the name of Fritz Nyland. A man of Fritz, by the name of Fritz Nyland has had three brothers in the war. Those brothers have all lost their lives. Francis... You are called to go behind enemy lines and find this man. Bring him back to safety of American shores. By and by, he finds this man. 30, 40, 50 years go by. Someone hears the story. They change it to a battalion of men. They change names, and they name it a big Hollywood moving saving Private Ryan. But in reality, it wasn't men with guns. It was one unarmed chaplain who found that man. Being born at the right place or being in the right place at the right time. Turn with me, if you will, into the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Turn with me or turn it on. Whichever one is applicable to you that's right before the book of Job. The book of Esther, chapter 3 and verse 1. We're going to set the stage here. Fate or the hand of God has called her to be in the right place at the right time. 
It is not a comfortable environment. It's something she would not want to be in because with that environment that she's been thrust into comes a responsibility. She's learned this hard lesson that with much power comes much responsibility. I learned that from watching Spider-Man. <laughs> Jesus puts it differently, but Spider-Man is, is good. <laughs> Esther wins a beauty pageant to be queen. She hides her identity from the general public, though, because she doesn't want anyone to know that she's a Jew. We pick up the story in chapter 3 and verse 1 in the book of Esther, chapter 3 and verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, and advanced him and set him his seat above the princesses who were with him. And all the king's servants who were there within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. More about Mordecai. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily that he would not listen to them, verse 4. And they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. In verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with wrath. That means he's really angry, in case you don't understand that old-fashioned word. But there's a lesson I learned, at least two, from the life of a trapped woman. A woman who happens to be at the right place at the right time, but she teaches us something this morning. For God to redeem situations in our lives, for God to redeem mankind, he is working through flawed human vessels. He's working through mistakes of people, their bad choices, and he still begins to orchestrate people's lives. Lesson number one we learn from chapter 4 and verse 16. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. Fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. My maids and I will fast likewise. I'm going to stop reading right there. First lesson we learn is we learn to wait. What a common word to say, but waiting is such a hard thing to do. Proverbs or Psalms 27 and verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Psalm 37 and verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because those who prosper in their way. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 17. I will wait on the Lord. I will hope in him. And that famous one that we love so much, Isaiah 40. And verse 31, but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I'll mount up with wings as eagles. What does it mean to wait? Waiting is an action. It's not sitting still. It's moving about. But I notice that she does two things after she learns to wait. First of all, her thoughts are in a spiritual direction. In verse 16, gather all the Jews and fast for me. 
neither eat nor drink for three nights. Her first thoughts as she's confronted with this horrible, threatening annihilation is in a spiritual direction. She's thinking, we need the Lord's help. We need something larger than ourselves. We want to draw on his power. Now, just to clarify, this book is a fascinating book because God is never mentioned. Prayer is never mentioned. This book was wrestled with from the early church fathers. How can we put it in the canon of, two, of, of the Old Testament when these things are never mentioned? Why? Because ultimately we see the hand of God moving. We see the hand of God moving in this lady's life. And we want to see the hand of God moving, Pastor Rachel, in these people's lives. Here in this day to day. Now, I made one mistake this already. I forgot to look at my watch when I started. Time goes by incredibly fast, Pastor Rachel, when you're up there. I don't know how it does that. So we're going to move on. See, her direction is in a spiritual direction. She's vulnerable. She's weak. She's queen. She has all these things at her disposal. But she knows that ultimately she's in a very weak and vulnerable position. Secondly, in verse 16, she gathers support. She, gets, she waits and she gathers support. She takes all those people around her in the town of Susa. The town of city of Susa, metropolis of Susa, was founded 4,200 years before Christ. It is a metropolis of thousands and thousands of people with multiple ethnic groups traversing back and forth. And in this metropolis, she says, I'll gather all the people around me. I need support. In this modern age, I need support in my life. In this modern age, I don't do it so much, Pastor Rachel. But when I was younger, I used to open the door to my son's bedrooms. It's Sunday, go to meeting. It's the best day of the week. And that's what I usually said to them. I don't say it much anymore. I need support. I need you around me. I need your blessing, your encouragement, your enrichment in my life. And she gathers those people around her as she waits on God. She waits upon people who have her own beliefs with her, who support her in the same principle. So we read in the scripture, blessed are those who, blessed is when I can go to the house of the Lord with those of like precious faith. I'm not on my own, I'm being lifted up with multitude of other people who inspire, who encourage, and like Pastor Rachel said, I need something more than just shallow, superficial, self-help book encouragement. I need divine assistance. I need divine power working in my life. Maybe it's not being murdered. Maybe it's not being annihilated. But to me, it feels like it. To me, it's powerful. To me, it is worrisome and overwhelming. And at times, I may not know what to do. But Esther gathers the portals, people around her. And unbeknown to her, God is working in the silence. She doesn't see him. She doesn't feel him. And she learns that faith is a substance of things hoped for. They don't exist in the tangible realm. So we see that verse Jumping ahead too much. Faith is a substance. Chapter 6, 1 through 3. 
6, 1 through 3, God is working. He, matter of fact, we're going to jump there. Chapter 6, God begins to work. That night, the king could not sleep. No one was commanded to, so someone was commanded to bring the books of the records of the chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found in verse 2, written that Mordecai had told of Bithyana and Teresha, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who sought to lay hands on the king. And, ki and the king's life was saved by Mordecai. I have to edit the story. We don't have time for it. It's a rich, wonderful thing to, to read slowly. King is saved. Mordecai never gets any credit. God orchestrates the circumstances for the king just to be happened at the right time, the right place, read the right verse, the right context to find out that Mordecai has never received any thanks for this. So Mordecai is uplifted. He's exalted. He's got a robe put around him. He's put on a white horse. And he's led through the streets by the very man, Haman, who hates him. Haman hates him. What a wonderful twist of fate. But he's not out of the woods yet. God is working still behind the scenes. Esther does not know this yet. There's areas of your life where you cannot see God working. There's areas of your life where you call things into question. There's areas of your life that you don't understand and you wonder why this hasn't happened for this and such and such in time. And I want you to know, God is working. Hallelujah. God wants to work. He desires to redeem the situation in your life. He's willing to fulfill his promise of salvation to humankind. I don't say mankind anymore, Pastor Rachel. I, I'm, see, I learned these things the hard way. I say humankind. Flawed people who gather around the character of his redemption. Second lesson I learned is from chapter 5 and verse 1. I learned to work. Now it happened on the third day, Esther put out her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. And she begins to prepare herself to enter into the king's presence. We don't have time to read that. If she does not, if she goes into the presence of the king without the king summonsing her, she has a possibility of being executed. The king is in this clutching, power-grabbing environment that he has a power over life with the lifting of his scepter. And so she prays and she fasts that his mind would be relaxed, his mind would be inviting, he would welcome her into his presence, and he does. She is blessed here as she learns to work. She learns to organize. Joshua chapter six and verse two is a funny, humorous verse read in its context. It's interesting how Pastor Rachel can read uh, texts and verses at times, and she brings out the humor from that verse. It's, it's a challenge to find humor sometimes in when you're reading something because of the various tones and inflections. But I find a humorous verse. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2. God speaks to, to Joshua. 
See, I've given Jericho into your hands. Jericho is a walled fortress, at least 30 foot tall stone walls, 10 to 20 feet thick, surrounding all the way around. And Joshua, a man of faith, stands before that wall and God speaks to him through the eyes of faith. He speaks to him as if these walls do not even exist anymore. That's almost funny. But Joshua takes on the challenge. Joshua sees through the eyes of faith. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go and make disciples. Making disciples was not in at a convenient time. It was not at an easy time. It was at a painful, afflicted moment in, in, this, in this world. But Jesus said, go. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Go. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. He's always challenging people to go. He's challenging people to work, to do, to be involved, and to plan. He tells us, go into all the world. There was risk. James was killed. John the Baptist was beheaded. Rome was not nice. Rome was not comfortable. Rome was an afflicted place to live. Oppression pressured them down, pushed them down more and more. But Jesus challenges them to rise above that oppression. Rise above that being pushed down and go. God says to Joshua, I've given you the land. Yes, there was risk, but God says, do not be afraid. Neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. Hallelujah, wherever you go. That hallelujah was for free. That was just, that was part of the, the allergies acting up. Our lives will never be comfortable enough to take risk. Our lives will never. As soon as I get to this point, we're talking to Mary, the, my wife who wasn't here with me this morning when I just happened to be preaching. I, I don't know if there's a correlation. But. It will never be enough comfortable enough and when something is finished and it finally averages out and it, and it softens up, some, another mountain will be in our way. Hebrews 11, we have the hall of faith. We have people who take risk. Sarah takes a risk. Abraham takes a risk. Noah, Enoch, and Abel are taking risks. Their lives are filled with struggle. Their lives are filled with hardship and, and constant questioning. But they step out. But they go. Thirdly, God worked within the risk. He begins to shape their life. He begins to shape them as they're taking that step of faith. God can work within the risk that we take. God needs you to try. Then he works. As Joshua in the in that other book previously, they're crossing the, the, the river. Joshua, by the command of God, God challenged Joshua, tell, tell the high priest to step out into the water. 
step into the water first, and then they will recede. What struggle in your life do you need to step into first, and then it'll begin to recede from you? By faith, we read that phrase over and over, and I think that the writer is trying to drive home a message. By faith, Moses did. By faith, Rahab did, as we learned last week. By faith, we have Joshua, and we have Samson, and we have Jephthah. All worked miracles, all God provided for as they stepped out in faith. Mordecai is hated by Haman. Esther and Mordecai are faced with horrible conditions. Some of us, we feel like we're in the same condition. Maybe it's not death, but it's important to you. Maybe it's not so frightening, but it's very important to you. You didn't ask for it, but it came your way. You didn't wish this upon your family in any way, but it came upon you. Matter of fact, Moses was challenged with taking on that mantle of leadership, and he said, no, I don't want it. Abraham first was, was, was challenged to leave and go to, part, to another country. He said, no. Esther says, why? And we read that famous verse written in the book of Esther. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Such a time when you see the hand of God moving, and it's in such deliberate, specific ways. Not easy, it's not right, and it's certainly not fair. But it's there. And in chapter 7, verse 3 through 9, we see dramatic change. Chapter 7, verse 3 through 9. Then Queen Esther, they're at a party. I think I'm... And Queen Esther keeps it to herself about how much Haman wants to kill her. Nobody knows that Queen Esther is a Jew as well. In verse 3, Queen Esther answered and said, If I am found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. Verse 4, For who who have been sold my people and I to be destroyed, to be killed. King Esther, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Verse 5, she says to Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And she turns. Bum, bum. <laughs> it's Haman. The music is playing. Bum, bum. And the scene changes dramatically like a well-written story. And the several verses later, he's hung on the very set of gallows that he had built who were 80 feet tall to hang Mordecai on. Days later, he's unhung on them himself. What a dramatic change in a few days. The woman by the name of Gladys Alward. She gets off a train. She shouted orders in a language she does not understand. It's wintertime. It's in the middle of China. 
It's in the 1930s, and she's the only one that speaks English. No one speaks her language, and she does not speak their language. She's felt the call of God to go to missionary school, but she's been denied. She was removed from the school. She's alone. She's a woman. She's in a foreign country. It's cold. She's carrying two suitcases. She is ordered with, by the man's body language to get off the train. And she gets off the train. And she begins a long walk in the middle of cold, barren China. And she has no one but her faith in God. She's absolutely believed God has called her to this inland mission in China. As a teenager in the early 1900s in, in London, she was challenged to tell the Chinese about God's love. She failed the school. She was not smart enough. She could not learn the language. She had all the things going against her. But she still found her own way. She then takes, after the train ride, a two-day trip by mule to a small town where they refer to her as the foreign devil. The foreign devil was a common phrase used in that time. Um, our resident historian, Brother Craig, can confirm that information. But unbeknownst be known to her, because she stepped out at that very time, a law was passed. I won't bore you with the details, but a law was needed What they needed a foreigner to go from house to house to inspect various health conditions. She was called and she was given the opportunity to go from house to house. And with every house, she inspected the feet of the young Chinese women who had to have a normal shoe put on. I said I wouldn't go there, but I will. Their shoes were too tight in that culture. They changed the laws in the 1930s, allowing them to wear normal shoes. She had to inspect every one of the young women's foot. And with that inspection came a gospel presentation. With that inspection came the birthing of a church. With that inspection came the birth of an orphanage where, people, where young children were sold. She would buy the children and she began an orphanage. And 30 years passed, wonderful ministry. She was referred to as the Awida, Awida, the virtuous one. So much so where in London stories would, would speak of her. In America would speak of her in the 1940s and then finally making it to another big time Hollywood film, if you can ever watch it, The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. The Inn of the Sixth Happiness, wonderful movie. She starts this orphanage with these young children and she saves many, many lives. All because she said, yes, Lord. All because she said, I was born for such a time as this. All because she said, in front of me is that cold, barren snow on the train track, but I will step out. Chaplain Francis jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, and he lived to tell wonderful tales of God's mercy moving in his life. You know what it means when, a, when the preacher folds up his binder? It doesn't really mean much. <laughs> I knew one preacher, he always said, I have three conclusions. I tried it just to keep it to one, Pastor Rachel. <laughs> Esther 
was lived in this time. Let's hurl that camera into the modern era. How does she take my life and to help me today? Today, I learned that she worked. What areas of your life do you need to plan? Do you need to organize? Do you need to work and do the best way you can? And what areas of your life do you need to wait upon God's timing? I don't know what those are. No one other person knows what those are, just we do in our own spirit. Esther was used by God, and I believe this morning we can be used by God. We can be used mightily if we learn to step out. It will not be comfortable. It will not be easy. It will not be convenient. I promise you that. And it could get in deeper water. It could get in colder snow. It could be language barriers. But God challenges us to step out at this time in our lives. He challenged Esther to step out in the deepness of her spirit. He challenges us to step out. He wants to redeem mankind, and he has already done it. And he wants to redeem the situations in our life because he's a God of redemption. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. His motivation is to give. His motivation is to draw back. His motivation is to help, to restore. Let's respond to that. If I could have the musicians back, I should have called for them a while ago. Got carried away. If they'd come back. It's to respond. We're given the opportunity of doing that right now in Jesus' name. Let's respond. Heavenly Father, we take this simple message. We submit it to your hearing. Let the life of Esther burn in our life. Father, we were born at the right time. Lord Jesus, we were not born a hundred years too late, not a hundred years too early. We were born at the right time at the right place, and you want to use us here, right now, in our capacity. Let's respond to the music, to the message, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prayer team, if you would come on up, you could stand. There's going to be folks who are here on this side and this side. Also folks back in that little alcove that can pray with you. Let's respond to the Lord. Everyone in this room is in a different situation. For some of you, you're in a season of waiting on the Lord. And maybe it's uncomfortable. For some of you, you're in a season where you've taken a risk. You've got to put one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And your foot's in the air and you're hoping that God meets you. <laughs> and what comes next? I want to encourage you as we're in this place. Uh, Matthew talked about how Esther went and gathered support. This is a great family where God can speak. People can partner with you in what he's speaking. But here's what I know. If he's stirring something up in you, you can't just walk out the door with it because life's going to hit you when you walk out the door. You're going to have things to do. So whatever he's speaking in you now, do something with it. Here's what you can do with it. You can come and pray with one of these folks here here up in front and then there in the alcove they can pray with you but every single believer in this house has the kingdom without measure so if you want to find a believer near you and pray you can do that as well some of you may feel like God's impressing someone on your heart to pray with you can do that too this is a time where we get to minister to each other you can also just respond in worship he's so good 
But whatever he spoke to you today, do something with it right now. God, what would you have me do? If he's speaking, ask him, what would you have me do with that? Or who can I partner with just to pray with me about that? Do something with it to solidify it so we can, did you have something? So that when we leave here, it turns into transformation. Amen? Sandy, you got something? Just, oh, sorry, that's weird. Just real quick, um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I am a teacher and I'm, I'm certified to teach elementary. And through just crazy circumstances, I'm a high school teacher right now. <laughs> And um, so out of my comfort science. zone. Yes. Science. Um, science, chemistry, physics, hello. Um, for anybody who knows me, like the humor behind this it does not escape me whatsoever. And so um, just today, this story just, wow. Because um, I kept asking God, what are you doing? Have you absolutely lost your mind? And um, like they called me and begged me to come to this job and I kept saying no. So anyhow, long story short, I have a student that, you know how you look at somebody, you're like, yeah, whatever, this kid, he's that kid, right? He took my class this year, and um, I don't know. I had all these preconceived ideas of what this was supposed to look like. And I, I had asked to teach a humanities class, and I'm teaching humanities, and of course we're talking about religions and stuff. So the other day he came to me, he goes, hey, can I have lunch in your classroom? And I was like, sure. Now this is a very good looking athletic kid, and like, why does he want to hang out with me? I have no idea. So he's sitting in my classroom, and as we're sitting and talking, I realized the Holy Spirit told me he's like, him. And I was like, really? Okay. So I started talking to him. So he's been coming into my class, and we've been talking and stuff. And he said to me the other day, he said, why are you doing this? You could lose your job. And he said, you're right, but you're worth it. And if they fired me today, and this was the last day I ever taught in my life, you would be worth it. And he looked at me and goes, wow, okay. And so if, if it's okay with you guys, I just really felt like he said to me, he said, you know, if this God is real, why am I not seeing things? He grew up with a heroin addicted mother and he grew up with a father who's been in prison. And he said, I don't believe this anymore. He's gone to church. He's like, I always ask God, I wanted a home and I wanted my family to be home and they're not. So he must not exist. So we had some really great conversations, but I'm just praying. I don't know why I'm in this school. It's in the middle of nowhere. I don't know. I'm just there. So I'm just, if you guys would pray with me, I just want revival to break out at this building because I think it's going to start with that kid. And so um, I was driving to work on Friday and I was like, God, you got to have something. And I turned around and looked and there's a farm field and I looked and it was the most beautiful sunrise. And I stopped my car and I heard the Holy Spirit say, take a picture of it. So I did, and I got to school and I was like, hey, I got your miracle. And I showed him the sunrise and he started laughing. He goes, I was thinking the same thing as I came to school today. And so um, he's just working at him. So if you guys could pray with me, that would be awesome. Um, no names or anything, but just this kid just needs, I just want God to rock this place. It's in the middle of nowhere, and I know that's how God does things when nobody expects it. So, so some of you, as Sandy was speaking, you just had a heart for what she's saying. You can come on up and just agree with Sandy. We're going to pray over that situation. Whatever God's stirring up in you, let's pray over that thing, but let's do something with it. We don't need more information stacked on information we do nothing with. We need to do stuff with what he's speaking to us. Amen? Let's take some time to respond to him.
Jesus, just as I am, I go. are getting prayer and sometimes when that happens people actually have God stirring stuff up maybe would like prayer as well and don't know where to go to it so as we're just closing up could you just do this could you turn to someone you didn't come with today might be a stranger and that's fine would you just turn to if you're a believer in the house would you just turn to him and say hey do you need prayer would you if you're a believer you have the kingdom without measure and Jesus is always worthy to show up so would you just turn to someone you didn't come with today and just say hey do you need prayer Jesus is here. He's here. Don't miss your opportunity to meet. Whatever need you came in with, he is not surprised by. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. No. Oh. 
As they are praying, we're going to close up. You just If you're praying, you just keep praying. If you're new today or newer and I haven't met you yet, I'm going to buy the coffee. Meet me by the coffee. I want to meet you. Um, and it's too hard to do with the throne. So we'll meet back there. I'd love to meet you if you're new today. Or if you'd like to take next steps in making this your church home, we can talk about that too. Young adults are going out to lunch. If you're post high school, I think... Who's spearheading that today? Alyssa, you want to find Alyssa if you want to do lunch? God is good. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and all the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Keep praying if you're praying. Encourage somebody before you go. God bless you.